How about we pray together? <clears throat> thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can be together as your children. We thank you that you've got a word for us and you've got a good plan for us and you've got a saviour for us, the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear, help us to concentrate and to think and to evaluate and then, Lord, to your honour and to your purposes to respond. Lord, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to become? May you achieve your purposes through this message this morning. I ask and pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So if my first slide comes up, or do I do that? There you go. I like to muck around with giving the chapter different titles. I like this one. When church went for six hours. Did you notice that in the reading? The people stood for a quarter of the day and they read God's word and then for another quarter of the day they were praying. That's three hours of Bible reading and three hours of praying. And then they would go and do it again. And this prayer, of course, comes out of that experience. They've just spent about three weeks, um, 21, yeah, three weeks. This is the 24th day of the month. And so from early on in the month, they've been gathering together. They've had the Festival of Tabernacles and, again, reading God's Word and responding to it. Um, so when church went for six hours. So what time is your meeting, Josh, this morning? <laughs> we have time. From building... To rebuilding. The book of Nehemiah is moving from having built the walls to now into rebuilding their relationship with God, being recommitted to Him. And this prayer finds us in the middle of that section, this recommitment, this renewal, this rebuilding, reconnecting with God. Another title, What is God Like and What Has He Done? There's a lot of stuff in this chapter and I encourage you to go and read it again, read it slowly and take note particularly of what it says about God and Israel's response to what God did for them. There's a lot in here, as we'll work out this morning. What is God like, and what has he done, and what is he therefore continuing to do, even in our lives? I like this one, renewing our fellowship with God, or how to reconnect with him. But ultimately, this is my heading. Nehemiah chapter 9 is God's consistent goodness, contrasted with our persistent disobedience. That's still our experience today, even as we follow the Lord Jesus. He is consistently good, gracious, kind and merciful. He provides for us. And though we are redeemed and forgiven in the Lord Jesus, that our sins are being dealt with, nonetheless we still find in our daily experience this persistence, that we have this sin bias, that it still continues to affect us. I wonder if you have yet reached the stage where you've lived one day without sinning. Hands up. I'll put my hand up just to show you what it means. Put your hand up. <laughs> None of us. We still wrestle with it, don't we? So that's why this chapter can still speak to us. Here we go. On the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting, sackcloth, and with earth on their heads. When somebody passes away for us, when we are feeling grief, what do we do? We don't fast, not usually. We may go off our food. We don't wear sackcloth. We don't, don't tend to. And I'm not aware that any of us puts earth or ashes on our heads. What do we do? We dress in black, don't we? It's a sign and symbol. Well, that's what it is for them culturally. Fasting and sackcloth is a sign of grief. They've been impacted. They're feeling the weight of their sin and of the, the impact of their history. I'm not going through every verse. 
And the Israelites had separated themselves from all the foreigners and all stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. That's interesting, isn't it? Like chapter 8 is all about reading God's word and responding to it. Chapter 9 is about prayer and chapter 10 is going to be about actions and responses. Those three go together and still go together. Read God's word, pray and respond. Obey it in action. Well, they had separated themselves and they are moved to confess their sins and look at that, and the iniquities of their fathers. Do you struggle with that at all? Do you identify with it? Is that an easy concept for you? Confessing the sins of our ancestors, of our fathers. We tend to be very individualistic, don't we? I confess my sin. But when I confess the sins of my parents or my siblings or my church or my nation, Sometimes we don't identify with that too much. This chapter certainly helps us to identify that we are not judging, but we are identifying with that we are the product of a fallen world and fallen people. And that's certainly what the people are doing here. They stood up in place, read from the book of the law, quarter of the day and so on. That's when church went for six hours and they worshipped God. The Levites invited them, stand up and bless the Lord who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, exalted above all praise and blessing. And then if you read through it, and I encourage you to do that, it's a long chapter. It's in fact the longest prayer, one commentator said. I haven't got to check that out, so I just believed him. It's the longest prayer recorded in the Bible. Is that right, Josh? It is. There's been a fall. I think I put it through the hole, which is, <laughs> this is a booby trap, this pulpit. Sorry? Thank you. <laughs> they go methodically through the history of Israel. As if you're ready, you'll notice certain things and look for what God did and what, how Israel responded. They acknowledge God as the creator. They talk about, called Abraham and changed his name and entered into a covenant with him. There was the Exodus. And all of those things, the Red Sea and Sinai and the law given and the pillar of cloud by day, they're looking back and contrasting, God, this is what you did and honouring him. And then they contrast it, particularly verse 16. You did all of these things, God, but they and our fathers acted presumptuously. They stiffened their neck. What does that mean? You know, like an animal, it stiffens its neck. It means it won't bend. It's stubborn. It's resisting. And that phrase is used for us the same way, that we are resisting going God's way. We're pushing back against it. Well, they stiffened their neck and they did not obey your commandments. I'm sure we can identify with that. Gee, this is getting small. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They stiffened their neck again. They even appointed the leader. What happens when things get tough? This still happens today in our world. When uh, some people commit themselves to God, but when things go wrong, suddenly they go, if God's going to treat me like that, I want out of here. I don't want to follow him. I'm going back to the way it was. Well, that's all Israel's doing. And it still happens today. They appointed a leader in their slavery. I want to go back to Egypt. But, contrast, you're a God who is ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God didn't give up on them didn't forsake them. If you read through the chapter, you'll find that theme coming out several times, at least three times. God didn't give up. They're my children. 
It's difficult to give up on children, isn't it? Even disobedient children. They're your children. And God is, God loves us not because we're lovable, but because of who he is. It's his character. He loves because of who he is. It brings him honor and glory. Then we go through the golden calf, the pillar of cloud. God gave his spirit to them, and through all of the wilderness years, he sustained them. Their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. He is a good, giving, and gracious God. He even talks about the conquest, the time of the judges, the time of the kings and the prophets. All of these aspects of, the, of uh, Israel's history, he works his way through. Whoops. Nevertheless, in your great mercy, you didn't make an end of them. You didn't forsake them. Why? Because you are a gracious and merciful God. There are three points I'm going to make this morning in a moment. Um, yet you have been righteous um, in all that has come upon us, they're praying, for you have dealt faithfully and we haven't. We've acted wickedly. Taken God for granted. So what's their response? Our kings, our princes, our priests and our fathers haven't kept your law, we haven't paid attention to your commandments and to the warnings that you gave them, even amid your great goodness and in large and rich land that you gave us, they did not serve you and they did not turn from their wicked ways. There is a pattern that emerges as you read through this carefully, that there is a, a process of people departing, slipping, backsliding if you like. It doesn't just happen, there are stages and steps that we go through and I'll point those out in a second because of this what's our response we're going to make a firm covenant we're going to make a commitment we're going to put it in writing and our leaders are going to sign it when you go into the next chapter we're going to obey your commandments we're going to be faithful to you like Abraham was and we're not going to neglect your temple and your worship we will commit ourselves to obeying you that's where they're going in this process Somebody has counted, there are 20 sins of Israel listed here, but there are 74 facts about God. That's the emphasis of this psalm, to bring honour and glory to God. It's a, an emphasis upon who is God and what has he done. That's certainly the emphasis. God is a giving God. And I encourage you to read through, and if you look at the verbs particularly, you made, you gave... You are the Lord God, you chose them, you brought him out, you named him, you made a covenant with him, you kept your word, you are righteous, you saw, you heard, you sent, you knew, you made a name for yourself, you divided, you hurled, you led, you came down. God is very active. God is involved. He's not distant and aloof. He is the sovereign, mighty, holy God who is involved in our world and still is and is involved in your life. As a nation, they didn't thank God for his blessings. But when they got into trouble, they were pretty quick to turn to him. That's a pattern. People are like that today. They cry out to God when they're in trouble. When things are going well, they ignore God. And it's not just people out there. That can be us in here. This chapter is a mirror that we are to hold up and look at ourselves and compare ourselves. But the chapter reminds us again and again and again, it's a great record of how God allows second chances, new beginnings. He puts the past behind them. His grace and mercy, when they repent and confess, when they turn back to him, he is accepting and he forgives. 
a wonderful chapter in that sense, being reminded of these things. Here are the three truths that I think we can walk away with this morning. Number one, this chapter reminds us that we as a people um, are prone to sin, just like a bowling ball, a lawn bowling ball. It can, it has a bias in it. We still have that bias. As long as you can feel gravity, that bias is in you. Our redemption and our salvation in Jesus does not remove the bias. One day he will. That's when we have new resurrection bodies. But until then, we have to make daily choice to submit to him and to walk with him. We are prone to sin repeatedly, even after we have experienced his grace and forgiveness. I realise, of course, there is a danger in acknowledging this truth that some people erroneously draw the conclusion, well, then it's okay to sin. If I sin, doesn't matter, God will forgive me and I can go on. So I can both sin and be forgiven. That's presumptuous. And if that's your attitude, then probably you haven't been forgiven. You need to talk to Josh or one of the deacons or other leaders about this. But when you have been forgiven, when you have repented, when you've changed your mind, and you've turned from your sinful ways, when you've been forgiven by God, there is a change. It doesn't mean you won't sin, it won't, you won't be sinless, but it does mean that you will want to sin less. There will be a wrestle going on, and there's an internal struggle, this proneness to sin. I know you know this. And this chapter reminds us of this very basic truth. It's so easy for us, even in this chapter, to sit back and to judge. How could they do such terrible things in light of the wonderful things that God did for them? How could they have such hard hearts and stiff necks? It's easy, isn't it, to sit back and to judge the wrong in others, even in loved ones. But as you read through the chapter, the idea is to examine your own heart. Lord, is this true of me? Have I been ungrateful? Have I been resistant or stubborn to your word, to your commandments? I'm no better than what they are. And remembering, of course, this prayer flows out of God's word. They were exposed to God's word, and that's what God's word does. It's inspired by God, and it's good for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. God uses his word to keep us on track to nourish us but sin deceives us sin blinds us sin causes us to compare ourselves to others particularly those we think are much less godly than us remember the parable jesus told of the tax collector went up to the temple to pray god i thank you that i'm not like other people i'm not like that tax collector i don't do this i don't do that i do do this i tithe and i go on and on and on he's comparing himself to others be very careful that you don't do that. It's so easy to do. And of course, we always seem to consider ourselves to be better than what we really are. We think we're more righteous, more upright, more holy, more wise than what we really are. That's what sin does to us. It elevates our own egos. Read Nehemiah 9. <laughs> Read Nehemiah chapter 9. And just see what God did and how Israel responded to it. Hmm. Do you know anyone who has provided everything for their children? Given everything for them? 
I need to have the kids grow up, disobey, rebel, and turn their backs on them. Know anybody like that? I know some people. I know some families like that. Praise the Lord, that hasn't happened in our family. But then again, my kids wouldn't dare rebel because there would be a funeral if they did. (laughs) Their mother would kill them. No, she wouldn't. But when hardship comes to those same rebellious, ungrateful children, they come running back to mum and dad, don't they? Apologising, I'm sorry. They receive the help they need, only to what? Repeat the cycle. It's part of our world. It's part of Nehemiah 9. It's part of Israel's history. It can be part of our history as we walk with God. That we are the recipients of his abundant mercy and grace and provisions. And we need to watch that we don't take it for granted and that we are ungrateful. We are prone to sin. Easy to judge others, I told you that. Number two, God is rich in mercy. This truth dominates this chapter. Again and again, after failure, there is, it's met by God's grace. Verse 17 emphasises that. But you are a God ready to forgive. Stands with his arms open wide. Repent. Come to me and you'll experience my grace and mercy. He is slow to anger. I would describe myself as slow to anger. Usually. But when I get angry, I tend to stay there for a while. I find it hard to get rid of. And the thing I have learned over the years is get angry at sin and get ang- and the person you are angry with directed at them. That's certainly my driving policy. If they cut me off, then I am angry at them and I need to direct my wrath at them. Amen? We are prone to sin, but God isn't. God can't sin. It's wonderful how patient he is with us. You know the truth that as amazing as God's grace and forgiveness is towards sinner, it's probably only equal to or outmatched even by his patience with saints. God's grave is greater than our sin. I saw that this morning. Um, There is a possibility that I typed it wrong, or it could be autocorrect. And when I saw it, I thought, I'm going to leave it there. It's obviously God's grace is greater than our sin. But God's grave is also greater than our sin, isn't it? The wages of sin is... Mm. Sin is to be taken seriously. If we don't take it seriously, God has a grave waiting for us. But his grace is greater than our sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you are. He still is willing to forgive because of Jesus. What has God done with our sin? Well, I know you know this. I'm just going to remind you of it very quickly. There is the amnesia promise. There are four verses. Where in Jeremiah 31, God says, I will forgive them for their sin and I will remember their sin no more. God is able to remove it from the memory cells, if you like. He no longer holds it against us. That's what it means. 
There's a stain removal sin, Isaiah 1.18. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be like wool. White, cleansed. There's the east-west promise. This is one of my favourites. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. That's a long way. He's removed them. And then finally, the deep sea promise. Micah says that he will cast all of our sin into the depths of the sea. And you know what Corrie ten Boom in her book said, don't you? When God casts our sin into the depths of the sea, he then puts a sign on the beach, on the, the edge of the sea, and he says, no fishing allowed. Don't go looking for your sin. It's been removed, it's been forgiven. Here we go. We are prone to sin. God is rich in mercy. Number three, therefore ongoing repentance should mark our lives. Ongoing repentance should mark our lives. Um, And in this chapter particularly, it's not just individually, it's also corporately. Ongoing repentance. Personally, families, church community, nation. On our knees, confessing our sin to God and asking God to have mercy upon us. Like I said before, we are very individualistic. It's easier to own our own sin. And we may struggle with the idea of corporate sin. Um, You know, the sins of our parents, the sins of our ancestors or whatever. Because some people have the attitude, they did it, not me. I'm not guilty. So how should I identify with them in this sin? Today, also, if we tend to hear about the sins of the parents at all, it's to excuse themselves by blaming their parents, don't they? I'm this way because my parents were that way. Therefore, that's why I have a temper. That's why I do this. That's why I'm impatient, or whatever it is, because that's what they were like. I blame them. Well, it's on this way because of them, and I identify that sin in them, and that sin is in me. Ongoing repentance. Take sin seriously. The New Testament gives us the steps. Put it off. Put on the ways of the Lord Jesus. Walk in righteousness. Put off sin and sinful habits. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and so on. True repentance accepts responsibility for sin and admits it. One of the things that I have discovered as a pastor over the decades particularly in families, in marriages and relationships, the couples don't know how to give a true apology. I have a granddaughter whom we love a lot. She has the habit, when she does bad things, when she does naughty things, what does she say? I'm sorry. Does the bad thing? I'm sorry. Does she mean it? Not, no. They're words. They're trying to teach her to say that. But it's not the words, it's got to come from the heart. But children like that grow up to be adults who do the same thing. Sorry. For what? I don't know, I'm sorry. Well, that's not a real apology. What's a real apology? It's like real, true repentance. A real apology is saying, what I did or what I said was wrong. It hurt you and I'm sorry, and I won't do it again. 
please forgive me. That's a real apology. So practice that with one another, particularly you wives with your husbands. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Anybody here play golf? I'm nearly done. Mulligans are allowed. God allows mulligans. A mulligan is where you're playing golf and when you hit it, when you miss hit it and the ball doesn't go where it should go and it just, it's just there. A mulligan is you can go down, pick it up and put it on there and you can have another swing. That's a mulligan. In the real game of golf, you can't do that. But in social golf, you can. I used to play golf regularly and I used to play in my previous church with a, a group of uh, two other men, three other men, so there were four of us, and we called ourselves the Leather Seven Club. The Leather Seven Club is your, bo your ball is in a bush and you would go up to it with your uh, leather shoes, go kick, and the ball would come out from under the bush, the Leather Seven Club. We often allowed mulligans, and I'm delighted to tell you this morning that God allows mulligans. He's into fresh starts. He's into do-overs. He's into forgiving and dealing with people who are genuinely repentant. God's mercy to sinners is annually equaled by or even perhaps outmatched by his patience with saints, you and me. Here is the conclusion. Against the dark backdrop of Israel's unfaithfulness shines the very bright light of God's goodness and faithfulness. When Israel obeyed him, God was faithful to bless. When they disobeyed him, he was faithful to chasten. When they asked for mercy, he was faithful to forgive. God is willing to give his people many privileges, but he will not give them the privilege of sinning and of having their own way. God's purposes are more important than our pleasures, and he will accomplish his purposes even if he has to chasten us to do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have been reminded through this chapter that we are a fallen people, we are prone to sin. And yet, Lord, you are rich, abundant in mercy and grace. So, Lord, please forgive us. Help us to genuinely repent, uh, true repentance. And indeed, Lord, may ongoing true repentance mark our lives, that we might humble ourselves, that we might pray, that we might seek your face, and that we might turn from our wicked ways. We ask and pray this in the name of Jesus, for his honour and for his glory. And everybody said...